0: Uh, So the first thing we're going to talk about, we're going to hit on just briefly, was uh, a continuation of our conversation last week. So last week we talked about the tension, or the supposed tension between faith and science. that that's actually not a tension, Um, regardless of where you, uh, what kind of camp you land in scientifically in terms of especially uh, young earth creationism, old earth creationism, uh, theistic evolution, you can reconcile all of those things with Scripture, uh, because the Bible is not concerned about the scientific how of the universe came to exist. It's more about what kind of world is this? What's the problem? Who did all of this? And so we can pursue science where it goes. Science and faith are not at odds. Uh, What we didn't touch on, though, that got brought up is kind of what flows out of that, which is per se, specifically as it relates to evolution, because we said there are many Christians that are theistic evolutionists um, that would accept the theory of evolution Sorry, not believe i kept saying so believe,
1: believe. Is like a religion you don't believe accept it that it it. as a useful framework
0: um and so we were asked if someone accepts that what does that do with human origins so like what about humans made in the image of god how does that work and what about like that, that would mean people are like died before sin entered the world so how does that all work you want to all right so we've got
1: off? kind of two parts of the question Um, And how you understand and answer this question very much depends on your perspective. Uh, If you'd fall into the camp as a young earth or or old earth creationist, um, then you would say, you know, God created Adam and Eve in the garden out of the dust, end of story. Whatever we find in science, it just appears to be older or perhaps God created it to appear that way. Correct. Um, But then you have uh, a couple other perspectives. One would be that God created, um, you know, all, all humanity through the process of evolution. And then from that, he chose one couple, Adam and Eve, to be his representatives. Uh, so that's a valid theological position. Uh, and then a third way is kind of the blending of both of those. Because uh, based on genetic data, uh, we know that the human population never dipped down below 10,000 individuals. So then you come up with Adam and Eve. It's like, hmm, so if God made two people, how does that fit with... Two is less than 10,000. Way less than (laughs) 10,000. I can do that math. So just based on the science and also um, the fossil data that we have of early hominids, um, we know that the population, or we speculate um, based on the data, that population never dipped below 10,000 individuals. And so God, because God is very active in his creation, uh, used evolutionary processes or could have used evolutionary processes to bring about humanity but then also create Adam and Eve out of the dust, in his own image. And they, people outside of the garden would still be uh, descendants of Adam and Eve in about three to 4,000 years. Right.
0: And so then whenever Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, they intermarried with the evolutionary humans and gave us the human population that we have now. Right, and so Adam
1: and Eve would be the genealogical, not the genetic ancestor, but the genealogical ancestor of everyone everyone on the earth today. Yes.
0: Here's the, uh, the important thing to note with any of those positions is you can hold a, an orthodox position of scripture of the early chapters of Genesis and fall into any of those categories. Uh, everyone still holds uh, that God was behind this, that God created, that human beings are unique and that they bear the image of God. Uh, Not that we look a certain way, but that God's image imprinted on human beings was to go and rule and reign um, and and to to steward the earth, to bring beauty and flourishing like he did in the garden. I'll take that everywhere. Uh, That sin entered the picture and messed everything up. Um, All of those things still remain true regardless of where you fall in that. Uh, And so that would be kind of where the human origins fall uh, with that. The other part of that question that that has been asked is then, well, what about death? Because I thought death didn't enter the world until after sin. So if there's evolution and species were dying off, how do you reconcile those two things? Um, Scripture never actually says that people or things didn't die before sin. It said that uh, sin entered in with that. And so... um, Old Testament scholar John Walton has some really good work on this, but the idea is that human beings, and this is a, um, this isn't a Jewish thought from like the Old Testament, this actually came along much later through Greek thought, that, that the human being has like an immortal aspect to it naturally. But if you read through, especially the Old Testament, humans are not naturally immortal. Uh, what it says that humans are created out of the dust, and you read those phrases different places, from dust you are to dust you will return, dust has this idea of mortality. We're just mortal dust stuff. It's God who breathes life into us and God who actually gives the gift of eternal life. Eternal life now and then was always a gift. If you look in the garden, when uh, Adam, Adam and Eve sin, they're banished from the garden and God's, God gives the reason, well, if, if, we, if we let them stay here after they've eaten from the tree of good and evil, they may eat from the tree of life and live forever. So we have to banish them so they can't eat from the tree of life. Meaning that this tree, this gift that God gave is what sustains um, and then this picture comes full circle as we see Jesus. There's a new tree of life, the cross. That's how we have access to eternal life once again. Um, and so there's not necessarily a um, conflict between death and, and pre-sin. It's that God is the one who gives uh, life, and he can choose when to do that. So That's right. It's a gift of God's grace. Yes. So that was question number one, and yes, we skimmed through that quickly. Uh, you can send us questions about that. We can talk about that again sometime. But we wanted to follow that up from last week, and the point of all of that is, is... There, there are faithful Jesus-loving people that fall in different categories, and you can still pursue Jesus. So, question number two, uh, where we'll spend most of our time then this morning, it's not really a question; it is a whole set of topics. We've had questions about this um, both recently and throughout. Honestly, really, since we've, we've been a church, uh, we've been asked about this. And so all these things are centering around the same topic. We had different versions and phrases, things uh, surrounding the LGBTQ conversation. So we've had questions like, can people in the LGBTQ community be a follower of Jesus? Uh, can people who are in that community uh, be saved? Or what's the relationship between them and salvation? Uh, we've had questions about why is there so much negativity or hatred from the church or from christians towards those in the lgbt community uh we've had questions about like what is kind of what is the christian traditional christian position on human sexuality uh there's been gotcha statements of like well jesus never technically said anything about this and so you know it's not actually an issue because jesus never addressed it um all we're kind of lumping those all into a broad category this morning
1: Yeah, Um, so the, the, I guess, big idea is human sexuality and gender. Um, And just to start things off, the Old Testament and New Testament writers had no understanding of our modern categories for sexuality and gender, Uh, and so it's a conversation that requires nuance. There isn't just uh, a black or white statement that we can run to. it's an ongoing conversation. And we're not going to spend you know weeks and weeks on this topic where we very well could um, because it's it's an ongoing conversation that we wanna have one-on-one with people uh, yeah. through relationship and not just make statements and then cut relationships.
0: Yeah, nuance is an important thing that we've lost not only in this conversation, but every conversation in our culture seems like there's no nuance, we're either on one side or the other. It's black, it's white, it's right, it's, right, it's left. Um, just give me your statement, give me your position. But so many of these things require nuance and conversations, not just statements. And honestly, nuance it doesn't necessarily get the clicks. It gets kind of boring. And, you know, you don't make a lot of friends. And you also don't make a lot of enemies, um, which is kind of we're put in this binary. But we're going to, I guess, try to do our
1: best. Right. So to just come right out and say it, we as a church hold an orthodox understanding of human sexuality and gender. So, orthodox meaning what the church has believed since the earliest days of the apostles and what the church believes around the globe today.
0: Yeah, and and I just want to make a distinction. We we intentionally use the word orthodox instead of conservative, like, because we're not a progressive church. We're also not a conservative church in what those two words have come to mean. Those words have been very, very hijacked, and so orthodox is how we prefer to talk about it, uh, and not just in the conversation of human sexuality and gender, but in every, like, theological category of the Christian faith, what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do you do that? What are those practices? Who, like, what is a Christian? Like, any conversation we can have, we would say we are an orthodox church, meaning you, you track 2,000 years of church history around the globe. What are the core teachings of Christianity?
1: Yeah, and we didn't arrive there by, you know, our I guess, own upbringing by um, our church tradition that we were maybe part of. We, we arrived there by looking at the scriptures as a whole and trying to see what do the scriptures say when it comes to this topic.
0: Yeah, and that's, that I, I, there's, that's what I want us to keep in mind as we continue on this conversation this morning, that we're, we're doing our best to faithfully view things through the lens of scripture, when also understanding that this conversation, among others, is a secondary issue. Uh, this is not on the same level of who is Jesus, what does it mean to be saved, the resurrection. These are secondary things, and being a secondary issue means that, that we as individuals and also as a church, we're open to changing our mind on things if a a case can be made through the scripture. If you can go like, here's like the exegetical evidence for this, and here's the cultural evidence from, and what things look like in the languages, and if you can, if we can get there through scripture, not just cultural currents. We're open to having that conversation. Um, And this is not something that is easy for us as individuals or as a church.
1: Right, and you might be thinking, well, that's easy for you to say because you're straight, white men.
0: Yes. Um, We've been walking in this tension as individuals for a while. uh, As, and and honestly, let me just say personally. Personally, here's what I would love to do. I would really like to just be like, let's just wipe that conversation away and say, you know, follow the cultural current, it would be a lot easier to do. Um, Personally, uh, we both have friends who are part of the LGBTQ community. Um, We have family who are part of the LGBTQ community. And so while this is not direct in my life, it is close. and then also this tension as a church, we've been walking in this tension for a while. As we've been faithfully trying to follow Jesus and listen to his, his, um, his spirit. Again, we talk about having conversations, not taking sides. Um, within the same like year, these two separate events, we've, we were berated on one side and received some mean emails and th- that said basically we were anti-gay and hateful and don't let people in that community be a part of our church. And then we also received messages that said, we have heard that Hope Community allows, uh, you know, uh, openly practicing homosexuals in their leadership. Both of those things within a year from each other, um, and obviously both can't be true, but the truth is neither are true. Um, we, what people want, and this is where we talk about nuance, is for us to run to one category or the other and say, are you in this side or this side? Is it this issue or is it this? Um, And we are trying as best as we can, and we definitely don't always get this right, to say we don't want to follow either of those categories. We want to follow Jesus.
1: That's right, because Jesus didn't come to take a side. He came to make a difference. Yes. Uh, And as followers of Jesus, that's what we want to do. We don't want to just make a point uh, and turn people away and cut people off from relationship. But rather, we want to invite people into conversation, into relationship, because that's what Jesus did.
0: Uh, So kind of of with that as the background, like where where we are, so we're not, we don't want anybody to feel bait and switch or anything like that. Um, That's where we're starting things. But now let's dive in a little bit more to how should the church respond and how are we committed as a church to trying to live in this tension.
1: Yeah, because the church has gotten this wrong. um, And we can probably all recognize that the church has gotten this wrong, that we have hurt people. Yeah,
0: and so... what I want to do is, I want to go to one passage of scripture this morning, and things will kind of flow out of that. Um, and I, I think this passage of scripture that we're going to look at is the marching orders for followers of Jesus and how to engage in the world around us. Uh, as we talk about whether our conversation today around the LGBTQ community or it's any conversation that society is having at large, 1 Corinthians 5 is what we're going to look at. And this is the posture that the, shir- the church needs to take. Um, so we're going to look at this together. and and see what we can learn from it. So in 1 Corinthians 5, the the Corinthian church, the church in Corinth, had all kinds of issues. And as you read the Apostle Paul's words to them, he's constantly like working out, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to stop doing that. Here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, And and Corinth was a city with, I mean, if you want to do some historical research, just look into what Corinth was like in the first century. It's crazy. Um, And so you have people leaving all these pagan lifestyles to embrace Jesus, and Paul is just like, what do I do? like how do I you know get them to understand this and so 1 Corinthians chapter five, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says this he says it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate so that was a really big statement um, in this culture pagan culture, the city of Corinth A regular like, it was you know it's kind of funny I hear <laughs> side note like Christians are like, oh things are so bad, and the world is so sexualized i 'm like have you ever done any history on the like, first century Roman Empire? It's like, we got nothing on that, okay? Um, but part of the like, pagan worship was to go to the temples to visit the temple prostitutes. So that's the culture that Paul is writing to, and he actually says there's something going on in the church that even that culture was like, not cool, Christians, not cool. Um, and, and he explains what that was. He says, a man is sleeping with his father's wife. Not his mom, or else he probably would have come out and said his mother, but a man is sleeping with his stepmom, and not done, and you are proud of it. And so the church is like, Good for you. You go get him, buddy. And Paul is just like, What is going on here? And he says, Shouldn't you have gone into mourning? Like, this should break your heart, and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? And so he's like, you're celebrating this thing that shouldn't be celebrated. You need to address it. And he continues on, unpacks it a little bit more and, and the nature of kind of some of their disobedience. Um, but he jumps back in. This is verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my letter. Uh, he had actually written another letter to the, the church in Corinth before this. That letter has been lost in antiquity, so we don't have that letter. But he said, I wrote to you in my other letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. But then he 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 gives that like an asterisk, like a, a qualifier. He says, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. He says, you know, don't associate with the immoral or greedy or swindlers or all these different people, but I'm not talking about the people in the world, the people that are just out there living their lives. As If if, if that was the case, you'd have to leave the world because basically you can't go about your life and not bump up against people who live differently than you, that have different standards and values than than you do. He's like, the only way to get away from that is to leave the world or to go into your little isolationist camps, you know, your little holy huddles. Uh, And he says, that's not what I'm telling you to do. Uh, He says, but now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an adulterer or, or, or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. So he says, look, You don't go around like just cutting yourself off from the world, but you also don't just let anything go in the church. And then he gets to kind of like the summary statement, verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? It's a rhetorical statement, but the answer is, Paul, it's none of my business. Paul will be like, that's right, it's none of my business. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. The the, the idea of judgment, we think that's kind of harsh. Judgment in terms of scripture is always meant to bring like a correction, to bring restoration and reconciliation. So he says, it's not your job. You don't get to play moral police for the world around you. You need to worry about what is happening within the church, within the family of God. You judge that person with the hope that they will be restored to God. And that idea is something that the church has gotten wrong for so long. In fact, we usually do the opposite. We want to play moral police for the world around us, but then we look within the church and it's like anything goes. I mean, if you're at all kind of tuned in to what's going on in, like in the church recently, there's stories of abuse and scandal and sexism and racism. All of this is going on in the church, and we want to look at the world around us like, man, the world is so bad, it's so wrong, it's so messed up. Like the hypocrisy in that is insane. And even as we as we talk about in terms of the LGBT community or talk about human sexuality, I mean divorce rates in the church are as high or higher in the world around us. Like uh, in the church. In yeah, yeah. The, are higher in the church. Divorce rates is one thing. I mean, adultery, immorality, like greed, consumerism. I mean, like there's like over 2,000 verses in scripture that talk about how to handle money and greed and caring for the poor. There's like five that talk about homosexuality, and we're like, oh, we're greedy, we're comfortable, but we're going to point the finger at everybody else. And so, man, that's a passage that no matter what we're talking about, we need to look and go, okay, if someone is not a follower of Jesus, I have no right to tell them how to live. It's not my job, it's not my responsibility. My job is to display to the world and tell the world how awesome Jesus is and hopefully they'll wanna start following him and then once people become followers of Jesus, as we're in the church, then we have the responsibility to one another to correct some things.
1: Right, it's not a bait and switch. Whenever somebody becomes a Christian, uh, we don't expect them to, you know, clean up their act right away or to become perfect right away because let's be honest none of us are perfect none of us can clean up our own act that's what Jesus does and it's a lifelong process that the big fancy term is called sanctification Uh, it's a lifelong process of becoming like Jesus Uh, it doesn't happen instantly but yet when it comes to uh, those outside the church or those in the LGBTQ community that are coming into the church we lay on them this burden that they have to clean up their act right away if they start following Jesus. Uh, And that's not at all what we see when we open the pages of scripture and see what Jesus did. Jesus invited people to follow him. And he trusted that by following him, by pursuing uh, his way that leads to life, that people would be changed. Yeah.
0: And so when it comes to the the moral conversation, we don't impose our morals on the world around us, but we do have a responsibility to love each other well enough to do that within the church. The other aspect of this, too, becomes the issue of um, uh, discrimination, oppression. Like the church, no matter who the group of people are or where they're from, the church should be the loudest voice in standing up for people who have been historically oppressed or discriminated against. And people within the LGBTQ community have been historically oppressed and discriminated against. Not my job if you're not in the church to not tell you, to tell you how to live. It is my job as a follower of Jesus to stand up for those who are mistreated. Uh, and so that's the line that we've gotta learn how to walk really well. To say, you know what, within society, I don't get to tell you how to live, but you better believe that I am going to stand up for you having equal treatment under the law as everybody else. Uh, Last summer, there was a uh, Supreme Court case, Bostick versus Clayton County, that had to do with discrimination within hiring practices. And it was a Supreme Court rule that ruled in favor 6-3 to that you cannot discriminate against someone according to sex. That law had been on the books since, I think, like the 60s. But this now also included against um, sexual orientation or uh, gender uh, identification. And so, and and that was something that Christians were kind of up in arms about, but I mean, this might upset you, but we should be for that. We should say, I don't care who you are or how you live. You should be able to get a job, and I will fight for that. You should be able to be protected under the law. You should be able to get health care and survivor benefits and taxes and all of those things because within the world, it is not my job to, to police the world's behavior. It is, it is my job to stand up and help speak for those who don't have a voice. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, Uh, and so that's one of the postures that we should have as followers of Jesus when it comes to dealing with people outside the church. Um, And and along with that, this understanding of of Jesus, you know, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you would take up your cross daily and come after me. It's this picture that every day we're we're literally dying to ourselves, dying to our own desires, dying to our need to be right um, in order to follow Jesus. In order to lay down our own rights for the benefit for the sake of others Uh, so often what we see uh, christians doing in culture is using their rights to get more rights for christian and less rights for other people Uh, but what we would see jesus doing is laying down those rights so that others might have rights uh, so that way they might not experience oppression
0: yeah and and so that that brings us to the heart of really what the gospel is. It's not just a prayer that we pray to get into heaven someday. It's the statement that Jesus is Lord, uh, which means over every area of my life, uh, my sexuality, my relationships, my parenting, my finances, my generosity, what I do at work, like in every single area of life, Jesus has the final say. Picking up my cross, following him, Jesus is Lord. Lord, and so that's where we get to the, that other side of the conversation that says, if you've made that declaration that says, I'm following Jesus, um, it's not an instant process, but it is a, a lifetime of saying, I'm going to try to bring myself in alignment with the way of Jesus in every area that I can.
1: Um, and so that goes for, you know, especially those inside the church uh, and those entering into the church, trying to bring themselves into alignment. And you might be thinking, well, isn't that just unfair to expect somebody uh, to change, basically?
0: Yeah. I I mean, I would be careful about saying, like, using the word change, especially as as we relate to the LGBTQ conversation, because, again, damage has been done there with things like the word change. Oh, you're going to be a Christian now, so all of a sudden, this is all going to be different, and you're going to be magically... Fixed, which is another terrible, terrible word. It's like, n- no, because that's not how any of our lives work. We are all, like, broken in our own different ways. It's within my brokenness, though, that I'm going to still pursue Jesus. And I, I understand, like, that idea of, like, well, isn't that unfair? Aren't we denying people um, basic, uh, basic human, uh, human rights? Um, and I, I mean, I don't even feel like I'm qualified to say anything, because, again, I'm not in that boat. That is not my life. But the call of Jesus is to follow him, and no matter what it is that you're doing, um, and and so as someone is invited, anybody's invited to follow Jesus, no matter where you're at in life, no matter if if you're part of the LGBTQ community or not, but then from that point on, you spend this lifelong process of saying, Jesus, what does it look like to follow you? What does it look like in these different areas of life?
1: and so the, the church as we've mentioned already has failed to do this has gotten this wrong um, because instead what we've done when it comes to the, the issue of gender and sexuality is we've just embraced a christianized version of the world's uh you know the world says sex is ultimate sex is god um, and the christian view is yeah sex is still ultimate sex is god just wait until you're married
0: yeah and so this is how this has played out i mean ever since I mean, really, the the last fifty or sixty years, it seems like there's been such an emphasis on within Christian culture, within evangelicalism, of uh, of family, family values, get married, have two point seven kids, and the purity movement sprung out of that. That uh, the world is saying, "Hey, sex basically is a god, and it's this basic human thing that you can't survive without." and the church, instead of coming along saying, "No, there's a better vision of life," like Jesus is God, the church has said, "Well, that's kind of right," and so you know, sex is God, but wait till you're married, Uh, and and, and then everything will be wonderful, and then also, if you want to be a real follower of Jesus, you've got to be married and have, whatever, 2.7 kids that somehow my ability to follow Jesus has been tied to my relationship status or my sex status. And so now, if that's not a possibility for someone in today's culture based on uh, their sexual orientation, it's like, well, I'm denying somebody of something when really the church has failed to present a better picture.
1: Right, and a better picture would be welcoming those people into a family because the church is supposed to be family, walking alongside people, inviting uh, you know people that might not be married, single adults, people in the LGBTQ community that are part of the church to be part of their family. Say, hey, I want you to to, to just feel welcome in my home, come over at any point, whether it's in you know, the middle of the night, whatever you need, I am here. Um, come help me raise my kids, be a spiritual mother or spiritual father to my kids uh, and have that experience a similar relationship, experience that, that same intimacy and closeness with another human being. Because at the end of the day, that's what we long for. Mm-hmm. We all long to be known, to have close relationships, to, to have somebody that knows our deepest desires and deepest secrets. And the church has said, hey, come to a class or come to a group, uh, and just left it right there instead of inviting people into a deeper relationship.
0: Yeah, we've, we've cheapened what Christian community actually is. Now, I, I love community groups. We're in a community group. Some of you are in a group. I hope you love your group. And a group is part of that. You know, you share. You, you, you do life together. You do faith together. But Christian community and family is more than that. It's more than two hours on a weeknight studying the Bible together. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But it has to be. It, there's a reason it's called a family. Family is another thing that we've created an idol of. Family is important. You shouldn't neglect your family, but it is not the ultimate thing. Y- your family is now a part of a bigger family if you're part of the church. Um, and as it relates to this conversation with the LGBTQ community, we we need to feel the weight if we're going to hold an orthodox position of understanding that you're telling someone they can never be a mom or a dad. in a a, a traditional sense. If you can't have those kind of family relationships, and if the church isn't willing to say, you may not be able to have that in a traditional view, but come and raise my children with me. Come and be a part of my family. Knock on my door at midnight. Go on vacation with my family. If we're not willing to say both of those, we need to shut our mouths about the first part. Because if not, we're just telling people, here's what we want from you, but we're not going to do anything to help you with it. Jesus had words for the Pharisees around that, and you know, he said, you tie up these heavy loads and you place them on people, but you're not willing to lift a finger to help, and that is exactly what we do if we say, here's what we think the picture of God is like and what he wants for your life, but we're not going to create an avenue for you to experience that.
1: Uh, This is something that I've experienced, you know, not growing up, uh, as a young adult in uh, another church. That I didn't fit that mold of you know the nuclear family, and therefore I couldn't be a real Christian um, because I didn't get married until I was late in my twenties, um, and you know a single adult as leader in the church, and I would hear constantly and be treated um, subhuman, honestly. Um, but I'd hear people say, "Well, you're a leader in the church and you're not married, so so and so left the church," and I can remember one Sunday a lady coming up to me and asking me that question. They were telling me that and then asking, well, what do you think about that? And my response to her was, well, the Apostle Paul was single. Jesus was single. They didn't have any kids. Um, So I'm pretty sure we have misunderstood those scriptures that they're using as reason why they have left the church.
0: The church, and I don't want to to come down too hard on the church because I think the church is beautiful. The the church is the hope of the world. The church is what God is using to, to manifest his presence to the world and to love people. But we have gotten a lot of things wrong, and this is one of the areas where it's just like we have hurt a lot of people. Um, to know if you, don't, if you don't fall into the traditional categories of sex or gender or if you're single or if you're divorced or if whatever. If you don't fit the perfect picture of nuclear family sexuality, then there's no place for you. And that is not what the church is supposed to be. There is supposed to be a group of eclectic people, eyes locked on Jesus, saying we are a family together. That this family actually supersedes whatever my nuclear family at home is.
1: Right. And so there's space at the table no matter what perspective you hold. Because again, we said that this is a secondary issue. It's not primary. If we can all agree on Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, then we can stand united uh, as one body. We can share the communion together. We can do life with one another, yeah, and have our disagreements, but still invite people into a loving relationship with God.
0: And as we said, there's a lot more that could be said. Um, This would be conversation and conversation weeks and weeks, but we're not going to do that. Um, If you've got questions, maybe we'll address them at some other time. But this isn't something that we're going to talk about all the time, um, especially from like an upfront preaching kind of uh, posture for a variety of of reasons. Number one, like this isn't something that Jesus talked about all that often. Um, Jesus was more focused on the announcement of his kingdom and the invitation to come follow me. And throughout life, you'll figure out what following me looks like, but the invitation is to continue to point to Jesus, and we're committed to that and having lots of conversations along the way. Um, And also just from personal experience, this is not, we will never on any topic use this church or this, we don't actually have a pulpit, but this area as a weapon. I can remember in 2015 after the uh, Obergefell v. Hodges case in same-sex marriage was legalized throughout the country, or it was deemed unconstitutional to not allow people to, to marry, being in a church and hearing the pulpit weaponized, and I'm in student ministry at that time thinking, okay, for, for, for you and certain generations, this is, this is just an issue. For the students that I'm trying to pour into, this is their friends, and you've just told them that their friends aren't welcome at church. And not only that, but for even for older generations to be sitting there, statistics would just tell us that there are older generations that struggle with this as well, and have never had the freedom to wrestle with it in church. And you just told them that they're not welcome here, or they have to stay in shame for the rest of their life. And so, no, we're not going to talk about it up front because no matter how much we try to nuance a conversation, it still feels like we're talking at you rather than with you. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna hold our convictions but we're going to have a lot of conversations and a lot of grace and are willing to to get into the mess of life with people. That's, we think that's the way of Jesus and that's what his church is called to. Yeah.
1: All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that, um, that you trust us to be part of your kingdom, to advance your kingdom mission. Lord, we confess that we have failed to do this, that we have sinned against you. Uh, and thought, word, and deed, and things that we have done and things that we have left undone, that we have failed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And instead, Father, we have uh, hated those outside the church. We have mistreated those, continued uh, to oppress people. Lord, we confess that. We ask for your forgiveness because, Lord, you are faithful and just forgive us of all sin and all unrighteousness. But I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to love people, as you have loved us, to love everyone made in your image, Lord, regardless of their gender, regardless of their sexuality, but just love them, Lord, as human beings made in your image, to walk, to have difficult conversations that are messy, that uh, require nuance, and to invite people into your kingdom. In your name I pray, amen.